Good morning, my fellow maker entrepreneurs out there. This is Pooch of Repcord, along with my trusty co-host, Mr. Andrew Mayhall of 3D Gloop. And this is the Maker That Money podcast, the podcast where we talk about turning your hobby into your jobby. With us today, very excited to welcome Mr. Jason Dory, founder, owner of Lightburn Software, king of the pew-pews. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna give him a, a minute to give us uh, his his uh, background and stuff like that. Uh, well, first of all, welcome. Thank you for joining us. You're an East Coaster, yes? Uh, I am. Yeah, we're uh, we're in Connecticut, so about an hour hour and a half outside of New York. Awesome, awesome. Cool. It's so good to have you. I know we've been chatting for quite some time. We work together uh, uh, on the business front uh, quite a bit. I use your software daily. Uh, we do a lot of laser cutting in our shop, and uh, I've been just really privileged to get to know you uh, over the over the years. But uh, go ahead and give everybody the quick elevator pitch of who you are, who Lightburn Laser is, and what you guys do. Uh, who I am is a software developer by trade. Uh, started in the video game industry in 1993. Um, did that for 20, 25 years. Uh, worked for Apple for three years and then started Lightburn, sort of by accident. Um, <laughs> like all good businesses, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sort of, you know, fell in my lap. Um, I've, uh, I've been a maker for quite a long time. Uh, as I said, I started in software, but I used to take apart digital electronics when I was a, you know, younger, when I was a kid, basically everything that broke. So VCRs, televisions, things that could hurt you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then as an adult, I was like, you know, using a CNC machine to build drone and airplane, like model airplane parts, furniture, things like that. My girlfriend and I made soap for a while with swear words in it. Um, <laughs> Sweary soaps, what were you called? Swear, uh, we were called, uh, well, the tagline was the four letter lather company, but it was called fuck soap. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, the uh, cornerstone product was a bar of white soap. So it was opaque and it had the word fuck in the soap in brick red lettering, but you couldn't see it. And so engraved in the top of the soap was Live, Laugh, Love. And it was this handmade vanilla soap made with quality ingredients, custom packaging, all of that. <laughs> and we would sell them to, you know, anybody who had like super conservative family members. Of course. Or tight coworkers, <laughs> things oh like that. Oh my gosh. You were and trolling with your yeah, own oh yeah. design. It was Physical trolling. Yeah, it was great. Wait, I'm sorry. What was the tagline? Live, Laugh, Love? Live, Laugh, Love. But so no lather? I mean, as the alliteration no. master, well, on, you have to the, have lather in the there. The tagline of the company was the four-letter lather company. Ah, uh, that's right. And okay. So, yeah. But we actually had, we had to change our name to Bard Soap, B-A-R apostrophe D, and we used Shakespeare on the logo uh -huh. because we almost weren't allowed to attend a vendor fair in San Francisco because of the name. They were going to print oh, it in other printed material, and they're like, yeah, we can't have Censored. that name there. Sorry. Censored again. Listen, so. well, li uh, as many makers can attest to, first of all, you sound like quite the renaissance man, quite the jack of all trades and, and whatnot, <laughs> like many of us had uh, other entrepreneurial ventures in the past. I think you mentioned to us offline earlier you were a DJ as well. Is that is that true? Yep. 
Yeah, uh, that I started. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it, what's funny is the guy who is now my business partner, uh, he basically handles day-to-day -day operations. Uh, he was the guy who got me into DJing. So he had a mobile DJ company with my roommate and a third friend of theirs, or ours, I guess. Okay. And uh, I got into helping them set up teardown, roadie, sound check, stuff like that. And then one day we're doing like a school dance or uh, like public function of some kind. And he's like, I want to dance. You play for a while. And he just left. And I'm standing there like, <laughs> figure it out. What do, what do you do? And he's like, yeah, you watched me on it. You'll, you'll be fine. Got <laughs> that was it. Yeah, so, trial by fi disco fire. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Pretty much. <laughs> so, so yeah, I was a like not a great DJ, but decent, passable in the Vancouver rave scene in kind of the mid to late nineties. And amazing! So. What a great, what a great uh, story. For so again, welcome. We're gonna pause for a second. We got to do our little housekeeping, our calls to action. First of all. Mm -hmm. Thank you to everybody tuning in live. We, uh, If you're listening back after the fact on any of the podcasting platforms, we do record live 9 a.m. Pacific every just about every Friday on YouTube. That's a great way to interact with us. If you have questions for us or for our guest, feel free to hammer us with them in the chat. We also have our call-in line for brave souls that want to call in and actually chat live with us. We welcome your opportunity to do give you the opportunity to do so that is up above <laughs> the link above my head on the screen it's repcord.com slash mtm hotline uh if you want to call in uh and uh uh since mike's not in the chat doing our normal like please like subscribe bring a friend tell others about it we love talking about being makers entrepreneurial ventures all of that stuff so that's what we are all about andrew we haven't given you a chance to to say hello to the people this morning. <laughs> um, and while you're doing that, uh, we're, we're going to put Jason on the spot as well. He isn't familiar with our, our pattern. But before we go into the meat and potatoes, we always talk about our wins for the week, Jason. So you have to think mm -hmm. of like one good thing that happened to you because we are positive people here. Okay, we talk Super about positivity, positive. right? <laughs> so I'm going to make Andrew go first, like I always do, because he knows I love putting him on the spot. Uh, and then uh, you're going to have to tell everybody something good that happened to you this week, okay? Um, Andrew, how are you, my friend? Has it been another I'm doing, good week for you? I'm, do I'm doing great. Uh, this week's been fantastic. Um, feeling, feeling super energized. Um, kind of sad it's Friday. I wish there was a little bit longer in the work week left. but <laughs> He wants more you work know. week. Yeah. Yeah. Said yeah. no one ever. Yeah. <laughs> i don't know you know when when things are when things are going good you know you kind of get in this groove right. and you're just you're just steamrolling things right mm -hmm. um i feel like we we're firing on all cylinders here now um you know we're we're producing gloop like mad uh it's it's crazy <laughs> i just it's just like the giant valve opening up and the gloop is just pouring pouring out and you're under yep. there frantically trying to catch it with bottles right that's I'm how that's like episode of futurama where the giant worm is just yeah. oozing into yes that's exactly it no. <laughs> that's how gloop yeah. works yeah yeah awesome well that's fantastic to hear i'm glad to hear you're firing on all cylinders jason what is something awesome that happened to you this week my friend um something awesome that happened to us uh or me personally we um are in the process of uh, revamping our website. So we actually Ooh. turned it on live nice. last night. And then after about an hour, we noticed something was missing and we're like, oh, 
and turned it back off again. <laughs> so we'll take care of that today. But um, no, we had a company that uh, my business partner um, knows uh, the owners of personally, and they did a, a full revamp and just kind of a restyle. It, we'd been using the same site for it's been a few years now, like almost five years. Yeah. So it was time for a change. Yeah. Um, Finally moving off GeoHost or what, what something like, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still Shopify, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. And we, we just hired, we just hired another dev. Uh, so he started Monday. Wow, so that was nice. exciting. Um, and he's, uh, well, we hope we're, we're still in the, you know, getting to know each other phase and the honeymoon, but uh, he seems like he's got a really solid resume background. Uh, he's totally into making um you know he'll fit right in culture wise so perfect we're letting him loosen the code and then we have another hire coming who i don't know how public it is yet so i can't say but i believe you know already of course so i know that, that i know exciting yeah all things uh <laughs> yeah. yeah no that's exciting it's all knowing first of all if uh <laughs> if if you guys aren't aware uh, uh jason basically just poaches everyone from the 3d printing uh community mm -hmm. from all their other various jobs and is just having a nice collection, a menagerie of humans that yes. uh, live in, I think his basement. Uh, <laughs> that, that, yeah. No, we, we just leave them wherever they can, wherever the, they work. Oh, they're free range. That's yeah, how, yeah. how environmentally responsible. Exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, congrats on, on the continued growth, my friend. It seems like every time I talk to you, you've just hired more and more people. How many people do you have working for you at this point? Uh, it is 22, I believe. 22. So, wow. Yeah, and that's now, incredible. That's, that's not all full time. They're about half full time, half part time. So okay. we've got, you know, a bunch of those people are support and they will log into our user forum or our email ticket system, um, you know, wherever they are in the world, whenever they are. And like we've got people in Australia, New Zealand, the United States, the UK, Canada, like. So we kind of spread them out, try to kind of, you know, hit a bunch of time zones. Yeah. Because um, we've got a global customer base. Like, you know, we have customers everywhere. So 55% is the U.S. And then, you know, the rest is a massive chunk in Europe, like European Union, a bunch in Australia, New Zealand, Wow. all over so that's fantastic insight actually good numbers too interesting to think that only roughly half of your customer base is domestic mm -hmm. yeah uh, and yeah. so you have to plan for a global customer base and and yep. work across multiple time zones and all the yep. things that come with that yeah yeah it's one of the reasons why we don't have a published phone number for example you know because <laughs> oh gosh if, also because then somebody people call, call you yeah we're, we're small and we don't have a call center i don't want to offload our support to someplace like india or you mm -hmm. know like sure a lot of the issues that people have are simple licensing things which you know we can take care of quickly but then the other half of support issues is I've got some really weird, you know, issue with my machine. It's not homing properly or this is happening or that's, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. so you kind of have to have some technical chops to answer those questions. Yeah. And I don't want people stuck on the phone with somebody who doesn't understand the hardware, doesn't understand mm. the language maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You I want to pin that because that's a big question I've got. And it's a common one where it's like, your product is the software, mm -hmm. but inevitably the oh, hard nobody knows where that line is right yeah. right mm -hmm. and so so people are going to ask you hardware questions yeah. and expect yeah. some All degree of support and and yeah. so yeah. the responsibility for that so let's pin that though i want to come back to that 
Um, that's a that's a really really interesting uh, question. I think what I would like to get into first, so f- uh, just to give you guys some context as you're listening here, I think when we talk about maker businesses, uh, and we've mentioned this in the past, um, a lot of times people think of like a product based like the object, you know, mm-hmm. a maker is making things like soap or, you know, yeah. doing yeah. custom laser engraved uh, dog tags or whatever it might be. Um, we haven't really gone into what, what it's like to create a software product before, which I'm really interested in. I have a background in software development, not nearly as in-depth as, as Jason. I didn't know that. Uh, web development. Um, and uh, I got out of the game. Yeah, I, I just couldn't handle sitting in front of the computer as much uh, as that seemed to require. You got to get know? out in the shop and start making, right? I love working with my hands, <laughs> yeah. man. I wanted to make. I wanted to make. So, um, y- you know, you, you've talked a little bit about your background. I'm hoping maybe you can give us the origin story of Lightburn Laser and and building a software company. Um, the background of the software itself is pretty straightforward. Um, I got a laser, um, around the time that Glowforge was doing their Kickstarter. I was actually signed up for the Glowforge Kickstarter, um, had given them my money, you know, and waiting patiently. They slipped their first ship date. Um, I think Mm -hmm. they were about to slip their second ship date. And then I found out that the software was cloud only Mm -hmm. and, I wanted to be doing stuff in my garage, kind of crappy mm-hmm. connectivity, that kind of thing. So I was like, no, that's not going to work for me. Like, so, so re- thought- re- really quick, hold, let me hold you there. For those who aren't familiar, the Glowforge is a desktop based laser cutter uh, that came online a couple of years ago now. Um, but maybe one of the, <laughs> yeah, five, probably five, four or five years ago. Yeah. So it's a small 40 watt CO2 laser uh, and uh, a fairly popular one out mm-hmm. there. Okay. So continue. You started with a, uh, that so yeah, I was about to get the Glowforge when I found out it, you know they were missing their ship date and it was cloud only. Their whole their whole software stack was cloud, and so mm. I don't like that. And it's one of those. I had a replay TV. I don't know if you remember the the predecessor to TiVo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, they had um, they had all kinds of legal problems because, uh, you know, they had commercial skipping and advertisers went after Mm -hmm. them and, uh, basically sued them out of existence. And as soon as their servers went offline, you had a very pretty brick and, Mm -hmm. you know, so having that as a, yeah, Yeah. I'll put that with the collection of others. Yeah. Yeah. So having that in the rear view mirror, when Glowforge said, you know, cloud only like will not work unless it's connected to the internet. I was like, yeah, no. And so I bought, I bought an eBay, uh, red and black machine, which would now be an OM tech machine. Mm. And, you know, I don't even think they were, they were called anything at the time. It was like KUE. It was probably directly from the manufacturer. Right. But, uh, it came with RD works, which as you know, is fantastic software. It's extremely functional and <laughs> not very well translated. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is called sarcasm for those who aren't aware. <laughs> it's hard to give them a hard time because those machines were intended for kind of manufacturing, right. industrial use. Mm-hmm. Um, the software was written, you know, probably 10 years ago and it was meant for that market not for home users right and for what it does it's very functional it does the job it's pretty stable um you know so i didn't really have 
direct problems with it other than usability issues. Mm -hmm. um, so you could only undo 10 deep. You could only group like one level deep. There were a bunch of other things that I, you know, didn't like about it. Um, lots of hotkeys missing. You couldn't just drag and drop stuff in, things like that. So it was primarily usability issues. And yeah. it looked like it was written for Windows 95. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so my girlfriend, who's also a maker, I yeah. tried to show her how to use it. And she's a graphic designer. She's used to Adobe products and things with polish okay. and panache. Mm -hmm. And she looked at it and was just like, what the actual hell is this? Get me away from this. <laughs> nope, the hell out of there. Yeah. So I, you know, being a software dev, started pulling at threads and just like, how hard would it be to actually talk to this machine myself? Like... And it's not documented at all. No. So it was a matter of, you know, like writing a man in the middle attack basically to, you know, push a button on the computer, the computer sends an, you know, an instruction mm. to the laser and you watch the conversation for a while. And it was like trying to learn Japanese by wiretapping. <laughs> so, oh, that wow. A, that a great <laughs> yeah. description. Grant in the yeah. uh, chat is saying he loves RD works. It gives you an error message when it saves correctly. Yeah. That gives you yeah, a no, sense it's not of an error the... message. It's a pop-up, yeah. but it's in Chinese. With so the error. You get, yeah, you get a pop-up that's full of garbage. And for, I remember getting that the first time. And yeah. the user experience panicking and, you know, yeah. um, more recently, like a Google translate will now work with your phone camera. So yeah. oh, okay. a couple of years later, I got that pop-up while using RD works for something. And I was like, what the hell is this? And I yeah. looked at, you know, looked yeah. at it through Google translate. It's file saved successfully is what it said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, it's like that, that old saying where, you know, uh, somebody says, um, the world is hard, so make sure that you tell the people who are close to you that you love them and so on and so on. But the world is also scary and confusing. So you got them at the top of your lungs in German. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of similar. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that gives you guys an, an idea what the, the user experience is like or where it was. And you bring up a good point for a lot of these uh, things that are rooted in industrial tool sets, very bare bones, uh, you know, yeah. wasn't even written uh, necessarily with like the uh, English speaker in mind. No, it was, it was no not written native. for the English speaker or yeah. even, I mean, arguably the end user or the novice user, I should say. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of our customers are hobbyists, small business owners, mom and pop types, you know, the kind of person who would buy a cricket or a silhouette cutter or a Glowforge or whatever. And not everybody is tech savvy. Um, we get people who are like woodworkers who are now retired. And with the recent surge of diode lasers and smaller laser mm -hmm. cutting machines becoming available, these people are looking at, you know, hey, I can put my maker's mark on the corner of all of the pieces that I make or engrave the pens that I turn or whatever. Right. And those people aren't technical you know, not in this way. Yeah. And so something like RD works as functional as it was, is just not user-friendly for that user. And we were trying to come up with, you know, something that was, or I was trying to come up with something that my girlfriend could use and yeah. not hate. Yeah. Well, and so like every good entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneur, you saw opportunity uh, mm -hmm. and you said, I can do better. And I was thinking maybe I could do better, but it was, it was an open question at that point. Okay. You know? And, and it was just, I wonder if I can. And I started doing it and I started posting about it. And 
over time, like this was initially just a thing for me. Like I had no idea that it was going to be a commercial thing at any point. It was mm-hmm. just, you know, one more of those things that I do for me. Mm-hmm. And I was posting out on a bunch of groups on Facebook and people started like, what are you going to do with that? That's really cool. Yeah, like, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and as soon as that started happening, I was just like, maybe, maybe we have something here. And, you know, people were asking, does it have a Facebook page? Do you have, you know, do you have a website I can yeah. follow anything like that? Yeah. And I'm like, no, but that's a solvable problem. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, came up with a name, formed a company. Um, and I think it was my first code commit was April. Um, and we started selling January of the, like the following year. Okay. So it was like eight months. And that of- was what year? Uh, 2017. So, well, 2017, I started coding. Um, I got my first laser February of 2017. Uh-huh. I started coding in April of 2017. We started selling January 2018. Yeah. So, wow. The what I what I love about the laser engraving cutting tool set is it's it's. It's novel enough. Like it it opens up like a new realm of things that you're not even easily able to replicate in other ways like some things yes like mm-hmm. you you can mm-hmm. uh you can cnc stumps some stuff but there's limitations to that but conversely you know there's limitations to, to yeah. laser cutting as well but cost of entry ease of getting into especially when you've now uh, given the world this software package that is just way more tolerable to want to work with. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that just don't even want to touch their laser uh, cutter because they hate RD works or they were just like, ah, I don't know. Like the, the user experience is so critical to the adoption. I think of the tool set a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's true. It's interesting to me that, um, I don't know, again, maybe because these machines are born of industrial roots that bringing it into more of a, a hobbyist consumer space has required, you know, some of these things that just historically haven't been necessary of, of, of an industrial thing as prices come down, as sizes scale down, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's still a lot of opportunity. Obviously, you guys know you've you've been releasing improvement after improvement. What version of the software are we on currently? Uh, we're on, well, the next one, the one that we're about to release, uh, fingers crossed, about a week and a half, two weeks, okay. um, will be 1.4. And what's funny is we started, I think the first version that we actually made publicly available was 0.5. Right. And I called it version 0.5 because it was like, yeah, we're, we're not even close to full feature parity with RD works. Mm. I know there's going to be some issues. The pricing was pretty low. You know, I, we're competing with free. If you buy a laser mm. that comes with RD works, yeah. the consumer sees the software as free because they've subsidized yeah. the purchase of it with the purchase of the controller. Yeah. Right, like RD Works ha- comes with the Ruida controller, and you know every other type of machine that we support is similar. Yeah. So there are mm-hmm. either free options available, or you know one came with it, or whatever. So we've always had to be pretty competitive on pricing, try to be very fair with it, um, licensing model, renewal model, all of that. So, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it just we started with version 0.5, and then you know over time, kind of kept adding to the features. And at some point we were like, why are we still calling it a beta? Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, to some extent, I think that's a really good strategy uh, on the software side because it, it sets a tone with people to understand like where the software is in its life cycle, right? Yeah. Now, what's interesting is while you might have started with 0.5 and you're only at 1.3, you've, as I recall, you've released pretty like what well, one you you re, your release schedule oh, we release is fast, fast and furious, which I yeah. love. <laughs> Compared to a lot of software, yes. Like we do major releases now slower than we than we did initially. Mm -hmm. um, early on, we would release like once a month, twice a month, something like that. Like once every couple of weeks. That was actually fairly normal. Yeah. And now the major releases tend to be like once every two or three months. Um, but we do minor releases, patches, bug fixes, that kind of thing you know, anywhere from a couple of weeks, a couple of days to a month, depending on how serious it is. Like after a major release, um, we support such a wide range of computers and lasers and workflows mm -hmm. and all of that. Like it's, it's realistically impossible for us to test every conceivable combination of everything. Right. And, you know, software is complex and there are side effects and so on. And every once in a while, something slips through in a combination that we didn't test. Uh, or somebody hits some use case, you know, somebody somewhere is like, oh, well, I mm -hmm. use lead-in with ramping and perforation mode and so on and so on and so on. Right. And sure. And it's like, okay. Did, did, <laughs> didn't try combining yeah. all of those variables. Yeah. Yeah. So we have that combinatoric explosion working against us. And whenever something like that happens, we try really hard to fix it as fast as we can and get, you know, the patch out quickly so that people aren't impacted. Like I personally hate seeing, you know, somebody say, oh, it crashed. I lost two hours of work. Like I know what that feels like. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, so we've got things like automatic backups and whatever. We just try to be very responsive with bugs first and foremost. And then feature requests, you know, if shortly after that, like we, it's one of the things I think makes us successful as a software company is we're responsive. Um, we're not, we're not out of public reach. If somebody has a question, a bug, a request, whatever, they can reach us. Like right. we're, we sure. can be found. You can have a conversation with me on our, on our website. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I have that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. uh, uh <laughs> side note, a uh, combinatoric explosion sounds like a rad band name. So keep that in your bad pocket. <laughs> keep that in your nice. bad pocket. Um, so, okay. God, there's so many bajillions of questions for you, but let's, let's, I'm trying to keep on pace. Let's just say this could go beginning. into many different directions. Oh my God, so many different directions, right? Because yeah. you just like evoke all sorts of emotions when we talk about customer support, release schedules, mm -hmm. controlling for variables that you don't consider all, all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. Let's go back a step though and talk about the, the business side, the entrepreneur side, the stuff you, you got started because you saw a problem. You thought you could do better. You started mm -hmm. pulling on that mm -hmm. thread. You said, we've got something here. Okay. Yeah. And, and I'm intrigued by your notion of like the, the business minutia, you look at it as like, these are all easily solvable problems. I can start a company. I can create a website. I can, yeah. you know, do all of that stuff. How much of an effort was that really? Uh, were you able to pull from some back experience to just like know what you had to do to get your books set up and like all the admin non-sexy stuff that you're not interested <laughs> no. in? No. No. I mean, so what's hilarious is 
being a maker and being a software dev, like you, you kind of look at things in a very analytical way. I think this is especially true of software developers, but I know that I know that a lot of makers are the same. Like you look at a physical thing and you start picking it apart in your brain. Like, how would I build that? Right. Mm -hmm. And as a software developer, I can look at an application or a program and, you know, think of it in many of the same ways. Um, and to me, the business side of things was very similar. It was like, I know what other businesses do, right? I've bought products online. You have a website. There's a buy now button. There's some products listed with photographs. Something happens on the back end and, you know, something gets shipped to you or emailed to you or whatever. So then it was mm -hmm. like, okay, so how do those things work? I have, <laughs> yeah. I, I need a website. Yeah. I need a product listing. I need a buy now, but like, you know, and, yeah. and mm -hmm. we live in kind of an amazing time. Like there is so much stuff online now that's mm -hmm. available for people to start doing their own entrepreneurial ventures. Yes. Right. And so as a company, we use a website called Shopify that is an e-commerce platform, kind of like WooCommerce. You know, there's a bunch of others that yep. exist that are similar. Um, but Shopify had very, very nice tiered pricing. Yep. So if you are Joe Schmo who doesn't have anything yet, no money in your pocket, no, you know, strong financial backing or anything like that, you can get a Shopify site for 30 bucks a month. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, they provide templates and themes and all of that kind of stuff. So you take your product shots, you create your listings and it's all through a web UI. And very quickly, you can have a website up and running that's reasonably professional looking. Yeah. Now, my girlfriend is a graphic designer that helps, but that wasn't like the only thing that would differentiate me from any other person doing it right like you yeah. can find people on fiverr to do you a logo mm -hmm. or sure whatever you know there are also uh companies like SendOwl is one that we used they do uh email product delivery and that integrates they have a plugin with shopify there's tons of plugins for shopify for all kinds of things like you know running your own events uh selling products with customer specified variations like sizing color customizing right mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff right so to me that was that was half of it like i need a website when the customer says buy it sends me a notification email i'm a software engineer so i wrote a program in python that just scraped my email every five minutes mm -hmm. and every time an email came from shopify it's like what did they order oh they ordered a g-code license cool i know what that is and it would create a g-code license and email it to them and that ran oh, on awesome. my desktop automation like, for the win yeah i love it yeah so <laughs> like we didn't even have a server we just had like my computer stayed online and every so often like i'd get a notification on my watch and <laughs> send an email to my girlfriend like hey go push the button on my desktop that's the order processing script yeah yeah and then i you know turned that into a cron job that just ran every 10 minutes god i love a good and cron then job. yeah eventually it became a raspberry pi and now it's actually its own server like we have a server somewhere on DigitalOcean, but like DigitalOcean, amazon web services mm -hmm. like those things did not exist God. you know, 10 years ago. Well, we talk um, about minimum viable product all the time in terms of like, you know, you yep. hear the cliche, like just do it, just get started and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. I, we use Shopify just like you. And I'll tell you something as a former web developer who made 
hundreds and hundreds of web pages, websites, e-commerce platforms, <laughs> Amazon integrations for other companies. It almost like stole a little bit of my soul to just like use an off the out of the box thing. But it's like yeah. the best decision I ever made because I also know having come from the DevOps world, like I don't want to deal with like st- maintaining the server updates. We, we call that security we call updates. That the SCP. It's yep. someone else's problem. Someone else's <laughs> yep. problem. So you're trading a little of that control, right? Yep. But it's like, I need, I, I want to get this website up today. Cause I, I you, went down the road. You talk of, about you know, doing makers, all that stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the right tool for the job is the thing that goes across the board for everything, right? Like I'll have yep. software people ask me, what's your favorite programming language? And I'm like, whichever one I need at that moment to do the thing that right. I want to do. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, if it's Python or JavaScript or C sharp or C plus plus or Swift or whatever, I don't care what the language is. It's does it do the thing that I need it to do and do it relatively quickly. Like Lightburn is written in C plus plus it's compiled. It's close to the metal. Yep. A lot of the stuff that we do, you know, for tools and pipeline stuff and automation is Python because it's fast yep. and it's easy to work with. And, you know, so something like Shopify, like, yeah, I, am I capable of creating an e-commerce website from scratch? Probably. Do I want to? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. What do you want to spend your time doing? What, you Bingo. know, what's, what's mm-hmm. yeah. getting you most of the way there already? You know, it's, uh, it's very well said and it sounds so obvious to hear it articulated that way, but you'd be surprised how many people die a death of, uh, wanting to, you know, learn the latest whiz bang thing because they think it's going to be the best. And I, mm-hmm. I got it all the yeah. time as a web dev too. People are like, eh, why aren't you using, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah, there's Doom another thing. Python, blah, per- blah, blah. Perfect is the enemy of good. Perfect is the enemy yep. of good. And it really is. And, you know, so if you have something like Shopify, that's going to do the job and get you 90, 95% of what you want. Mm-hmm. You know, if getting the hundred percent of what you want is going to take you six months and getting the 90 to 95% of what you want is going to take you six hours, I know where I would spend the time. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. Well, and distilling it down to like, what is the problem we're trying to solve? And then I I would add, how close is that to a critical business function, right? Or a revenue stream Mm -hmm. even, right? Like investing your time and energy in that isn't really going to garner results in the same way that your automation you have to be flexible with your requirements to a degree like if you look at something and you say okay here are my absolute drop dead i must have these features right then you have a list of these would be nice and then you have a list of you know these are you know if they're there cool if not whatever if you get everything but one of your absolute drop dead features and then you you know you really look at it and you're like do i really need that like you know or can we get away with it being a little different does it add a little bit of user friction does it add a little bit of time is it a little more money mm-hmm. anything like that you know if you're flexible and you can find something that's 90% of what you want but that 10% isn't quite there but that's reasonable mm-hmm. you know go for it like spend the time somewhere else, focus on your product, focus on whatever else, right? Like it's not worth obsessing over something that small. Yeah. Well, and you can always potentially come back to it. We talk about, we we've got 
endless amounts of technical debt we've borrowed against in various oh, yes. areas. <laughs> and, and, and you've mentioned now, like you're at the point where maybe it's time for a website, you know, refresh and yeah. you, you kind of attack those problems as needed. So well said, my friend, mm-hmm. let's switch gears a second. I want you to talk a little bit about, uh, having done product in the past, let's say your soap business or something like mm-hmm. that. And, and moving to like a software based product model. One of the one of the advantages that jumps out to me immediately is that what you touched on earlier, when you identify a bug or a problem, Mm -hmm. you have the ability to address that and release it in a manner that is, I would say, generally low friction as compared to what Andrew and I have to go through in what we might consider to be a recall, potentially, if there was something inherently wrong with the design. Right. And so obviously really nice that software exists in the ether in that regard and that you you can you're you have product portability in a way over the air updates over the air (laughs) updates sure yeah it's funny actually that you said the word recall tesla as an example you know that i think right now the national highway safety institute or safety and transport authority Mm -hmm. it's a it's um has a, a recall notice posted for tesla because of something to do with their autopilot mode but yeah. Tesla doesn't do physical recalls. They don't have to unless there's something physically wrong with the car. Yeah. If it's a software issue, it's just they send out a patch. So NHTSA still calls it a recall. But, you know, mm-hmm. two days later, your car is recalled and fixed, which is yeah. kind of great. And we're, we're in the same boat. We, yeah. Somebody will send us a bug report like, I import this SVG and it doesn't work. Right. Um, it's right. scattered everywhere. It's broken, whatever. We can find and address the bug run it through some regression tests to make sure we didn't break anything else because software is whack-a-mole. And then, mm-hmm. boy, howdy, you know, and then put out a patch and the software itself checks one of our website or web services. Um, so end users who are out there in the wild using it will get a pop-up once a day saying, hey, there's a new version of Lightburn. Would you like to download it? And, you know, so we can push that out to people. But yeah, we can fix things really quickly. Yep. Um, it, we also don't have to maintain physical inventory. There's no yeah. physical shipping. I mean, we have products that we do sell physically, mm-hmm. but you know, there it's a small enough space that we can keep it in. You know, a, say, a family kind of garage. Secondary. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's in support of the software. Exactly. So mm-hmm. okay, but, so we've talked yeah. about a benefit. Now, what would you say the flip side in terms of like maybe additional challenge that you have as a result of that model, as opposed to a, a product-based model, a, a, um, a tangible product-based model? Expectation is a big part of it. Mm. So um, users expect updates. Um, you know, if you go out and buy a microwave, yeah. you expect to take your hundred dollars and exchange it for the microwave, and that's the end of it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. If the microwave breaks, maybe you take it back to the store and you tell them, hey, dude, what the hell? This broke and they replace it or they repair it, assuming mm-hmm. it's under warranty. Right. But generally speaking, you buy the product and that's the end of it. Software, you buy the product and you expect regular incremental updates, bug fixes, changes, patches, new improvements, features. And there are users out there who get really upset that we charge for wow. feature upgrade, you know, feature updates beyond a certain point right because they expect oh this should be free for life it's like oh my entitled entitlement is strong (laughs) yeah but it's yeah there is at least to a degree 
that expectation that software developers have put on themselves by doing that in the past, like companies have, uh, as an example, Vectric Aspire. If you buy Vectric Aspire, yeah, it costs a pretty penny. I think they're you know twenty five hundred dollars mm-hmm. or three grand somewhere in that yeah. range. Yeah, but you get updates forever. Now they're charging three grand. Maybe they can afford that. We don't, and we can't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's a different model. And there are other companies like you know Adobe Illustrator, um, for example. They are now subscription based, and so you right. you know you pay your sixty dollars a month or whatever, and you just you're always on the latest and greatest. And Autodesk Fusion is similar. You know, so people are kind of used to having that constant update. That's a, um, that's a, expectations a really good point. I wasn't ex- actually expecting you to say that, but it's it's funny that you <laughs> put that out there. I I think the 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 takeaway, regardless of what your business may be, guys, is that you're gonna always come up against people with varying expectation, mm-hmm. and there is absolutely no way to make everybody happy all the time. So you, I, I think you can head a lot of it off by you know, being as clear as possible about what your policy is at the point of purchase. Obviously things change. We are in a world now where we have moved away from perpetual licenses to more of a subscription based Mm -hmm. service thing. Love or hate that. Uh, Obviously there's merits to both. It's interesting aside. I did a uh, cost analysis because I bought like the Adobe master suite like over 12 years ago when it was like on CS2 or something like that. And I dropped a ton of money at the time uh, when I was doing web dev and stuff. And really I only needed it for like, you know, Photoshop and uh, uh, some flash and some uh, premiere editing and stuff like that. But of course you get all the, all the rest of it with it. Mm -hmm. And I pro I used that thing into the ground. Like I was very resistant to the notion of like, cause I wanted to maximize my investment. But when I when I looked at the you know eighteen hundred dollars that I'd spent at the time, and then I spread that cost over the course of the however many years I was using it, and then looked at what they're charging now for you know the mm-hmm. Creative Seats subscription, it was almost a wash still. And I was just like, oh, I could have been on the latest greatest, but yeah. but we as consumers don't necessarily like we want to believe well, we own these things, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're not thinking like ten years ago, you're probably not thinking. Oh, I'm going to use this for 10 years. No, it's, I certainly didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking at it like this is $1,800 in, you know, 10 years ago money. That's not a small chunk of change for an average person. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Aspire, I bought Aspire. I, I used to have a CNC machine and yeah. I purchased Aspire. And that is like, I started with Cut2D and then updated or upgraded to uh, VCarve and then upgraded to Aspire. So, you know, in the end, they ended up getting a little bit more of my money because the upgrade price has a tack mm-hmm. on like, right. Um, yeah. But was it worth it? Yeah, I, I still use it. I still have it. Yeah. I occasionally use it for, you know, making STL files or like height map images or engraving stuff for vector prep or whatever. And I do a lot more of that in Lightburn now that Lightburn exists yeah. and I have control over it. Yeah. Um, but for a long time, you know, if I needed to convert a DXF into an SVG or something like that, I would use VCarve or, or Aspire. Yeah. Yeah. So so, so tell us uh, what your current licensing model is uh, and, and then how you guys decided to end up there. So you're a... Uh, go ahead. We... Um, 
I wanted something that wasn't a subscription, but I also recognize why subscription models exist. Mm. So as a, it, there's this, this pull, you know, between what the consumer wants and what mm -hmm. the developer wants, obviously the developer wants money, obviously the consumer wants value, right? So as a consumer, you buy the product, you want it to be yours. You want to be able to use it because you've paid for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I mentioned a microwave, you buy a microwave, you expect it to just work. We wanted to be similar, or I wanted Lightburn to be similar, where you buy it and it's yours. Yeah. Um, now, similar to the microwave, if a year from now, uh, GE comes out with a new model and it's got a bunch of new whiz-bang features, yeah. there should be a path to upgrade. And so with Lightburn, because people have this expectation of updates and bug fixes and so on, we include that for a year with a purchase. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you can renew and the renewal is only 30 bucks. It's not the same as buying a new license. Um, so you can choose to renew whenever you want to. If you've had a Lightburn license for three years and you've never updated, and then you know we release some cool new feature that you have to have, you can renew at that point. And it adds a year of updates from that point forward to your key. Mm -hmm. And you can download and enjoy. And, but I wanted, and I wanted the user to, basically. If you if they choose not to upgrade, they can continue to use the older version. Yeah, yeah. The way the way our licensing model works basically, you have the point at which you purchased. A year from then is when your update expiry occurs, right? So any version released before your update period expired, mm -hmm. you can install and run at any time. Um, so it's not, you are locked into whatever version you had when the key expired. It's ah, if there okay. were six versions released, you know, after the one you've got, but before your license expired, you can download any of those at any time and install them. And you can go backwards. Like if there's a bug somewhere in there that you got stuck with, you can back up to a version before and install that. Like we wanted to give the users at least a reasonable amount of flexibility. And then, That's yeah, the, the, that seems Go like ahead. a. I, I honestly, I gotta say, I, I love it because I think it's a it's a good compromise of the two. Like I recognize that obviously you have development hours and and mm -hmm. you know things that you've you know you guys need to get paid for, um, and that seems like a good balance of expectation and and the fact that you're not losing because I think a big fear of the subscription model for many. I don't know if it's a fear for many. I, I can't speak for everyone, but if you don't keep paying, you lose it, right? We, we live in this world mm -hmm. now where it's like, if I want to keep watching the show that I love on Netflix, I have to keep playing mm -hmm. for it. I can't go yeah. back and just watch yeah. what mm -hmm. I've already paid for. Andrew, what, what, what's your feeling? You know, you've, you've had background mm -hmm. in hardware, software and stuff too. Like, is that fair? Is that a good balance of things? Like what, what would you like to see as a consumer? I mean, obviously, as a as a consumer, you know, in in the product space, you know, we, you know, like Jason was saying, you know, we buy something, we expect to have it, we expect to own it, you know, for its entirety. Um, you know, we, where that line gets blurry is is when you have this this ability to change its function with lines of code mm -hmm. or change the outcome. How do you how do you assign that value to you know? to a dollar and then also to the, to the customer. Right. Um, you, you know, I, I see both sides and I think it's, it's really interesting. And this is kind of what I wanted to ask was how does this actually impact as an entrepreneur for, you know, you starting out, how did these decisions impact your progression and growth? 
you know, at the start, because, you know, I'm assuming, you know, as, as anyone in the software development side, you know, with experience, you're like, oh, I can create the software and I can sell it. And, you know, I can get the, the sale of that software. Uh, I'm sure, you know, as you, as you've, you know, grown, you're now having overhead, a lot more overhead. Um, 22 people you mentioned that's that's yeah. a lot of people that's a lot of mouths to feed how do you it is how do you overhead. start factoring that in yeah. you know and i think that's where these subscription services come from it's like how can they keep developing you know high class you know s tier software but also give the Love consumer what they want yeah. <laughs> well for us uh or for me personally um i i basically i threw a dart at a board and was like, this is what I'm going to charge so because I feel like this is a fair amount of money for, mm -hmm. you know, what we produced. If I was the consumer and I purchased this product and this is what I got, would I feel ripped off? Would I feel like I got what I paid for? Would I feel like I got more than I paid for? Um, my video game career I worked with a bunch of people who were very strong on the uh, under promise and over deliver yeah. model mm -hmm. of things. So we would be doing uh, product development um, under contract for outside companies. And we would always have something kind of in the back pocket that was ready to go that we could just turn on mm -hmm. where if we slipped on a feature that we had promised to meet for a particular milestone, we always had something else that we could just like, oh, well, we didn't hit that one, but Look we over added here. this yeah. instead. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and you'd be amazed at how far that goes. Like, oh, yeah. as a customer, if you get something uh, perceived for nothing, you feel like you, you won. And so part of the way that we price things and the way that I've arranged our, our whole business really is... I want to dangle the carrot in front of the consumer, you know, like, hey, there are a bunch of new features coming. You should really have these. These are awesome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, encourage them to pay us for those features. But at the same time, we're not a subscription model. So unless we deliver something that the consumer wants and something that adds value mm -hmm. and gives them a reason to continue renewing, mm -hmm you know, we don't get more money. So it keeps us honest. It's a, there's a nice balance there. And I wanted that yeah. for mm -hmm. our company. I also wanted to make sure that we were charging enough to pay our bills, you know, to pad the buffer a little bit in case, you know, the world implodes, like what happened with COVID or <laughs> sure, you know, like we have, we have some buffer cash in the bank and, you know, that gives me some peace of mind. Like if, there's another problem with shipping. If there's a, you know, a bunch of manufacturing shortages, like we've seen, mm -hmm. those things can happen mm -hmm. and they will impact our sales. If nobody's selling lasers, we're not selling software. Mm -hmm. um, That's a good point. But, yeah. But if, if those things happen, that buffer cash lets me pay my staff, continue to pay our bills, you know, and mm -hmm. gives us a cushion to sort of land on. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting because you bring up a, a, a a really cool point you know your software is a is a component that works with another device it's it's mm -hmm. something you know that Companion. you have no control over okay. and <laughs> you're not manufacturing these controllers so at any point in time you know if if there's updates to these controllers in the hardware space i'm assuming there's some there's some you know risks that you guys are having oh, yeah. to, you know take internally like what happens if 
you know, like these controllers are updated and we can no longer access for these newer machines or, yep. or, or something of that. So I'm curious, you know, if you could share, uh, you know, kind of a little bit, you know, of how you how you guys do some of this planning. Cause uh, you know, as an, as an entrepreneur, we always have to You're do some. assuming that analysis. I do that planning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, fair. That's, um, we do, we, we recognize that those things are possible. First of all, um, mm -hmm. for any device that already physically exists. So for example, uh, Pooch, you've got a Ruida controller, I'm assuming somewhere. Multiples. Yes. <laughs> um, that hardware, that hardware isn't cloud-based. You very sure. rarely update the firmware on it unless there's a significant reason to do so, right? It's it's kind yeah. of a toaster. It just works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you plug it in, you send it a job, it does the thing. And the company who makes it isn't constantly revising the firmware for that physical piece of equipment. That's right. So the ones that already exist that are in use, we at least have some stability there because... Sure the company that makes that hardware is not going to update their software dramatically um, and brick all of those machines. They're not going to update the firmware on those machines and brick their existing software. Like there's, mm -hmm. you know, sure. there's sort of a handshake agreement between those components already. Yeah. And by us pretending to be their software, we take part in that. Um, new hardware is a little different. Um, you know, anything that's new when we're doing reverse engineering stuff, like there's a big question for me personally, are we doing this correctly? Mm -hmm. Did the company that makes this hardware insert some weird backdoor that I don't know about and won't see for a few mm -hmm. months? Did they do anything malicious? Am I going to brick somebody's controller? Um, right. like, you know, those sure. are things that I worry about so far. We haven't had that happen, but it, it's a possibility. It's, it's always, you know, when you're looking at it, we talk about SWOT analysis, strength, weaknesses, uh, opportunities, mm -hmm. threats, and stuff like that. So when you're looking at your threats and stuff like that, mm -hmm. who, who you hit your wagon to, uh, obviously, is, is, is particularly important for you. You're right in the sense that the, well, I don't know, you can speak better to like the bulk of the use case, but I would say for like these very common Ruida controllers, they're very mature, very like, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and. I would it's say one of the reasons why we did that one first. Simple. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. and mm -hmm. we also sell to G code systems like diode yep. users. Um, some smaller, uh, like 40 watt lasers, have G code based controllers in them. And the nice thing with those is that if the user is using Gerbil or Smoothieware or Marlin or, you know, those are mm -hmm. open source, right. they're reasonably sure. mature they are publicly available, documented, you know, those aren't changing dramatically. Mm -hmm. And a good portion of our business comes from those. And so that gives us some stability there. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, if there's regulatory issues like diodes are open, um, I know one of the things that we worry about is, you know, over time, as these get more and more ubiquitous, mm -hmm. um, governments are probably going to start looking at, you know, the number of eye injuries and yeah. flame outs that are happening sure. and things like that. And like, maybe somebody's going to crack down on the availability of these things. Like they sell them as kits, so they don't have mm -hmm. to be uh, properly class rated as fully enclosed, yep. fully safe. Um, mm -hmm. But if those big, that's get clamped threat. on, yeah, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's one of our, that's one of our potential threats. 
Um, Gro- you know, growth strategy is interesting looking at this because it's like this is one of – I think you're in a great industry where it's like there's more and more people mm-hmm. getting involved every day. And you talk about – there's kind of two classes of user and I can understand why you're seeing a lot more use on the diode, the, the barriers to entry on the, the less expensive yeah. diode based laser systems are much lower, right? They're, they're, yes. they're they don't mm-hmm. require a big physical footprint and all that stuff. Yes. They have questionable safety can, things and stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but I think that's really awesome for you guys as a means of like getting people in. And then they, if they start oh, yeah. to realize like, Oh, there's bigger, better tools that I can move toward. That's it's one of the things that I, um, in a way that I'm proud of. Um, but I'm also reliant on to a degree, like we have the ability to support a bunch of different classes of machine. So diode lasers running Goebbels, smoothieware or Marlin are kind of the entry level. You can get, a reasonably good diode laser for probably 250 bucks all right, in. Right, right. You know, and you can get a reasonably bad diode laser for less than that. <laughs> sure, <laughs> um, certainly. And those, you know, for somebody who just wants to engrave their maker's mark on wooden spoons or turned pens or things like that, they're mm-hmm. great. Like they're they're perfectly capable. Yeah. They do really good work for images. They're not great for cutting, but they work well for engraving. Yeah. Um, if you're doing minimal amounts of cutting, they're fine. You know, small, thin plywood, balsa, stuff like that. They work great. Mm-hmm. And then once you are a user of one of those systems and you have, you know, some of that learning curve overcome and you've got a little bit of a product base and you've got a few people that you're selling to and, you know, you mm-hmm. made some beer taps or some coasters or stuff like that, you've got a taste. Then you start looking at what else is out there. Maybe you yeah. buy a K40, maybe you buy an OM Tech machine, sure. maybe you upgrade to something bigger and better. But mm-hmm. when you do, those users are now often looking for machines that are light burn compatible exactly. because they're yeah. comfortable with the software and that half of their learning curve is already dealt with. That's right. And so that there's makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, there's some new stuff, but we've also had people who have small scale manufacturing. Um, who started with either Trosen controllers or Ruidas and then, you know, bought a few more machines that came with something else. Mm-hmm. And they used to have to train all of their operators on each individual type of laser and the differences in the software and the differences in the hardware. And Lightburn abstracts most of that away. So now they just teach them on Lightburn and, you know, that saves them money. They can use, you know, one software solution for all of these different platforms. Not only does it abstract all of that away, because I was one of those people. It's it's interesting because when you look at the pro segment or the the the, the business owner, the B two B, let's call it a B two B, I guess, because mm-hmm. I am your customer that is making money as a result of leveraging mm-hmm. the power of your software, and I can definitively say that it has made our lives easy. It is a uh. A, an obvious business use case for me. In fact, mm-hmm. I would say it is probably one of the most undervalued, you know, tool sets as mm-hmm. a as a business owner that I've come across. The software is dirt cheap compared to like what I have to, you know, pay for for other things. But it's interesting because it's the same software that, you know, as a percentage yep. of somebody that is starting with a $300 diode laser, you know, the mm-hmm. the value proposition of spending a hundred bucks on the license, you know, that's like 25% yep. or whatever. For me, when it's a $10,000 large format CO2 laser and I have multiples, it's like, mm-hmm. 
wait, it's yeah, it's, it's only it's only this much, and and yeah. it yeah. makes my workflow like talk, you want to talk about some interesting stuff when you've. Every time you, I, I just get like giddy, like a kid in a candy shop. Every time the blog, you know, new, new release, new, new things, because like they're absolutely features that have been released, uh, that have made our lives easier. Like I'm, I think back to when, uh, tabbing first came out, like, mm-hmm. cause it wasn't a, and for, for those that aren't familiar, that's like the notion. If you think about like old model building where you laser cut your thing, but you leave like just little connectors so that you can kind of mm-hmm. have the entire sheet and then just easily knock out your parts and what that mm-hmm. does for quality control and, and um, QA in terms of like, we don't have to count individual parts. I know I have a complete sheet. I can ship that. It, it creates a different customer experience when you added the ability to do uh, serialization where I can feed a CSV in like, like massively value business propositions and stuff. And there, there's probably a ton of people that didn't even know that exists. Don't care. Don't use that stuff. But like, it makes my life much, 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 much easier. Um, and I love you guys for it. (laughs) And, and I, I, I just, I know what's, you know, coming down the pike and getting excited for th- stuff you're starting to get dip your toe into nesting and you know mm-hmm. it's not technically nesting but you know i know you're you're, you're <laughs> jogging it's, it's on the list yeah 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 but things so that i, I know- can see are gonna make my life a lot better go ahead andrew <laughs> i i know we're, we're getting close on time but mm-hmm. uh, you know i was curious if we can kind of go back a little bit into you know the the business centric side of you know lightburn and how you guys got your start um, you know, and what you guys are doing to drive growth. I mean, you guys have done an incredible job, you know, kind of taking and building out the software, it sounds like, and and making it ubiquitous in the lasering space. So, you know, what were some of the things that you could think back to that were kind of like the, the definitive, you know, pieces that helped you along the way? Um, you know, things, maybe it was a move that you made or, you know, models or, or something that you did. Um, um, there's, there's a few things. So what's, what's interesting for me, you said, uh, how am I driving growth, uh, mm-hmm. as, as a phrase, um, I'm doing the opposite in some respects. I'm actually trying to control our growth so that it doesn't get away from me. And I've had to do that more than a couple of times, uh, in our history. So early on with Lightburn. Before it existed, you know, I mentioned that we had people mm-hmm. looking at what I was doing and kind of, you know, oh, that's really yeah, cool. What exactly. are you going to, you know? And so initially it was not advertising. It was just posting on Facebook in social groups that were, you know, user support for lasers for people who already had that hardware. Um, then we had a website, then we had a product, you know, then we were selling and there was a lot of early buzz and word of mouth and that kind of thing. So we like, Early on, I bought a couple of Facebook ads, didn't really find that they did anything. So, mm-hmm. you know, we had a Facebook page, we had our own news and blog thing where we could update, like, here's the new features that we've got. Um, we had Facebook support early, um, but it was just chaos. Um, <laughs> so we created a user forum instead because we can kind of manage the content. It's Google searchable. Right. Um, so that makes it a lot easier for people to find answers. Um, the it, We've never done advertising. It's always been word of mouth or um, I've 
formed not quite partnerships, but um, deals with companies like Thunder Laser, Boss Laser, Darkly Labs, uh, Laguna Tools, uh, AP okay. Laser, so on and so on and so on. All of these different companies who um, sell laser hardware. Some of them will include Lightburn with their hardware. Um, some of them uh, include it as an optional add-on, but those companies are effectively doing our advertising for us um, in some respects, right? So we like to maintain a positive relationship there. Like we're giving them something that's of value because it's easier to use than what came with the hardware Absolutely. initially. Sure. Um, and, you know, in exchange, we are supporting their customers if their customers need support. Um, in many cases, those companies have their own support. The customers will go to them first. But if they come to us, we don't send them away. We'll, you know, and that's that's a big one for me. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, about sort of the line between where software and hardware is. People just don't know. Perfect. You know, <laughs> yeah. a lot of the time, someone <laughs> with a G-code machine will see an error in the console that came from their controller. And they'll say, Lightburn <laughs> is telling me this. Why is Lightburn giving me this error? And it's like, well, actually, no, that's the controller, but, and we help them. Okay. You know? And and we've done uh, tutorial videos, YouTube videos, things like that for how do you set up Lightburn on this particular type of diode machine? Here's your first project, get up and going. Because not all of those companies have those resources available or they don't have them you know, light burn centric, or maybe they don't have them in English or, mm -hmm. you know, so we're trying to backfill awesome. some of the, the miss the gaps there. Um, but yeah, a lot of our growth has just been very organic and very slow and methodical and like, okay, you know, we're just going to keep releasing new features. We keep doing the things that our customers want us to do, which is fix bugs, add features and answer questions. <laughs> And the rest of it pretty much takes care of itself. Like as long as you don't do anything really stupid, you you can grow a company. <laughs> sure. What's what's really great to hear, and I think we need to just repeat. And I want to be respectful of your time because I know we're going long. So mm -hmm. hopefully you're okay right, for, right. for just good. a couple it's more fine. minutes. <clears throat> but <laughs> the sustainability piece, I, I mm -hmm. I've grown I, I, lots of companies out there, right? We get. We get we're guilty of being overly ambitious with our forecasting. We fly too close to the sun. The, mm -hmm. We have to endure corrections and stuff like that. You sound like you're more of a conservative individual where you're trying to build with some degree of sustainability in mind. You've mentioned having money in the coffers for a rainy day fund. You don't mm -hmm. hear about that with business. A lot of times companies are overly aggressive with their cash flow and stuff like that because that seems to be the message that's sent. Oh, we can always, you know, money is cheap. We can borrow, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, you know, well, I've, how many I've had people ask me, what's your exit strategy? And my response is, well, I'm going to die at some point. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, you know, like, however I go. Yeah. <laughs> we, we get asked this a bunch, like what, what, what did you make Lightburn for? What did you expect to get out of it? And I'm like, I made it because I wanted better software for my laser cutter. Yeah. What I expected to get out of it was a little bit of, you know, personal freedom. I'm not working for anybody else now. I'm working for myself, which is awesome. I get to hire a bunch of my friends, which is awesome. I get to pay them well, which is great. Like, you know, we have a fairly flexible work culture. People could just log in when they have time, you know, like all of our support staff, they're not punching a clock. They just tell me roughly how many hours they spent and we pay them. Right. Um, 
you know, people get uh, profit sharing. Um, everybody full time gets a 401k and health benefits, like that kind of thing. Like it's That's awesome. None of this is rocket science. You know, it's just, I wanted to make a place where I would like to work. And I've worked for companies that micromanaged and treated their employees with, you know, like the careful eye on everything that they were doing or what they were spending mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. on and so on. And I've also worked for companies where they were much more flexible, much more um, like you hire people who are extremely smart and then you either trust them or you don't. And I choose to trust them. <laughs> Right. That's a great um, mentality. <laughs> and and I've worked for places that didn't. And I know who I want to work for. Sure. Right. And mm -hmm. so we're trying to create an environment or a workplace where people actually want to be here and enjoy what they do and get paid reasonably for what they do and, you know, can afford to take vacations and put their kids in school or whatever. Like, I, I love that your sniff test is one of empathy, right? And just trying mm -hmm. to put, put yourself in the shoes of like, what's the company I want to work for? What's the kind of software model that I like and all that stuff? I mean, you know, yeah, go with your it's gut. It's not hard. Well, like, you wouldn't it, think it, so, it, but. <laughs> it's really like, you know, the what's your exit strategy? Going back to that one, like I didn't make a company so that I could sell it and get out. I made a company right. because I like doing this. <laughs> I need and, something to yeah. do. <laughs> you know, everybody needs a job, yeah. right? I've always said, yeah. I feel like I, I made a company because I feel otherwise unemployable and I don't like other people telling me what to do. So it yeah. allows me mm -hmm. that. There's uh, a bit of that too, but yeah. like I yeah. was, I was quite happy working for other people for a very long time. Um, yeah. You know, I was, I was employed by others for 25, almost 30 years. And sure you know, never bothered me. I mean, you know, from when I was 20. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, you, you get to a point where it's like, you know, I'm working on products like uh, when I worked for 2K Sports, for example, I worked mm -hmm. on NBA 2K, the basketball franchise. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that franchise sells like wildfire every year, like they make money hand over fist. And sure. the development and production team gets a relatively small portion of that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, a lot of what's left over goes into supporting other projects within the company, goes to executive bonuses, goes to marketing expenses, so on and so on and so on. I want to make something where we cut down on all of that other overhead and we can distribute the, you know, the, the revenue to the people that are actually making it, not you know, the people who are just so kind it of sounds, reaching off of it. An employee. It sounds like you went with like a product first mentality. You know, you wanted to build a, yeah. a high quality thing and then everything else was just going to build on top of that. Yeah. And as far as sustainability awesome. goes, just to stay on that for one more second, do you, as a metric in terms of like looking at how many, you know, uh, a function of sales and, uh, and then you say like, okay, we gotta, we gotta bring on more people in a way that scales well with mm -hmm. demand. Um, what are your indicators for like growth in terms of like when you need to bring more people in? Mm -hmm. Um, so we're, we're short on the development side right now. I mentioned mm -hmm. that we just hired another developer, yeah. um, finding people who have the skill set that I want, who are also available is pretty challenging. Like there is actually a, a worldwide shortage of good developers. Like, and I'm looking for people world, yeah. who are, you know, who are really, really good 
um, what some people might call 10Xers, um, meaning that they're approximately 10 times as productive as a junior dev or a, like a normal developer. Mm. Um, I want people who are mostly self-managed, um, read code well, uh, understand algorithms and complexity and, you know, can just get in there and get working mm -hmm. and finding those people who have the maker mentality, who don't have much in the way of ego, you know, and Oof. who are just available to work, you know, who aren't <laughs> already spoken for from some like triple a, you know, company in Silicon Valley. Like, say, that's, that's yeah. pretty niche. It's a, it's, a tiny, <laughs> tiny you know? sliver of multiple yeah. Venn diagrams there. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. You know, anytime we find one, it's like, um, and, and, you know, the other people that we have working for us, even if they aren't the, the developer skill set, like I'm still looking for that maker mentality. I'm looking for people who like what they do, who want to do this stuff, who are into this space in some way and who have that kind of, you know, curious drive about them. And, you know, those are the people like when, uh, Billy Rubin became available. You know, we jumped at the chance to hire her because she's amazing. Yeah. And she's not a dev. I don't care. Like somebody floated her name and I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know. Um, so do you find yourself creating roles for, for the types of people sometimes that you want to make sure encapsulate the spirit of it? Or it's got to be a compromise. I, it's It's been a little of both. Uh, a lot of the time, like we have... As a company grows from being startup stage to, you know, mm -hmm. sort of mid-level, um, your roles get more specialized. Right. So when Lightburn started and it was just me, I was everybody. I was, you know, the coder, the marketer. Um, my girlfriend did graphic design. I did a lot of the website layout, the e-commerce side and the backend ops and all of that. Accounting, bookkeeping, yeah. mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. Right. And then... Over time, you know, add a few more developers, you start farming out some of the tasks to those people, you add a few more support people, you farm out some of the tasks to them. I hired a business partner. He now handles dealing with basically everything to do with just running the company day to day. So HR, <sighs> tax compliance. Okay. Um, that's a key, you know, that's a key uh, hire right there, man. I love all it. of that mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. like he's a, a guy that I've known for 30 years. We're best friends. Like, you know, I have zero trust issues with him. So he was an easy hire and yeah. it was more of a, would you be interested in this yeah. <laughs> kind of conversation? Yeah. Um, but yeah, over time, the roles get more specialized. Yeah. And mm -hmm when you're looking at a new hire, it's like, do we have this role? No. Do we need the role? Maybe, you know, can we make that role? Mm -hmm. And can we give that person enough to do to keep them engaged and interested? And if the answer is yes, then we'll probably hire them. You know, even if we didn't necessarily think that that was a thing we needed right at that moment, but right. like, I try to hire a little bit earlier than we need. And so far it's gone pretty well. Cause there've been a couple of times where I've ended up hiring to backfill and that's harder because for sure scrambling sure. and ramping people up takes time. And well, when, when, when one of those criteria on that Venn diagram we're talking about is just sheer availability. Sometimes there's a strike while the iron yep. is hot in terms of yep. like, Absolutely. it's not every day. I believe Ruben becomes available now, you know, Colin or an Adam, maybe they come along all the time. I'm trolling them because they're in the, the, so it's like, you know, you've got the grunt people you got to put in there too. I, yeah. I kid, I kid. Um, but uh, one last thing I want to touch on before we close, uh, you're doing your first event this year. Yes. Uh, yes. In, in October. Uh, it's affectionately called LBX. Can you tell us 
What, what the light burn experience? The light burn, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the THX, LBX, LTX. Yeah, yeah. What well, we were, what, what, we what were the impetus for this? Like LB Con, Light Burn Con, but it's it's yeah. not quite a conference. It's not quite an expo, and um, we we kind of used the word experience because we wanted people to you know come and learn about how to use the software, gain some experience and on hand or hands on experience with it, uh, yeah. as well as we wanted to have like, have it be a vendor expo, a user meet, you know, all of those things kind of together. Um, we've never done anything in person before. Um, every like as a company, we are distributed. We're all over the place. Everybody is remote. So we don't have a, an office or a building like most companies do. So, you know, we can't just host people because mm -hmm. it would be my living room and that would be weird. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome um, to me. I'll be there. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, so Joe Spanier, who is one of our developers, um, he's done tons of CNC and robotics. And like, basically, if it has, if it, if it is a machine that moves, he's probably touched system. one or programmed it or you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, he wanted to do something similar to like the Vectric user conference or, you know, something along those lines and pitched an idea to my business partner who, you know, just kind of ignored the first one. And then Joe came back and was like, okay, wait, I find this a little bit. And then Chuck kind of, you know, they went back and forth a couple yeah. of times. And finally Joe's like, I want to do this. And if you don't say anything, I'm probably just going to go off and do it by myself. And <laughs> listen up, mother. Yeah. <laughs> so, but at that point, he had fleshed it out enough that, like, what he had was pretty solid. And we're like, no, that actually sounds really cool. Go for it. So that's the reason why we're having it in Peoria because that's where he is. Yep. Um, and he's familiar with venues in that area. It's relatively central. It has a. Uh, it's got an international airport that's local. It's close to Chicago. It's it's you know, pretty central in the it's U.S. A, you're, it's right in, about, right in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, we know that we're not going to be able to have everybody, you know, from all over the world come. Um, you know, so this is, this is kind of an experiment for us. It's the first one. And if it goes well, we'd like to have more of them in more places and, you know, kind of see how much does it cost us to do this? How much, you know, what kind of, what's the response like? What do their customers yeah. get out of it? That kind of thing. Like, and if it goes really well, absolutely. We want to have more of them. I am, um, I am intrigued by the event model as it, as it coincides with a business like this, because uh, mm -hmm. one for full disclosure, I was invited to come speak. I will be there. I'm very excited for this uh, because again, we use it all the time. Every time, like I, I would do it anyway. I love, I, I sing <laughs> the praises of Lightburn on a day, almost a daily basis to everybody. But um, I'm intrigued by the event model because, you know, like a band, uh, uh, going on tour different than, um, you know, releasing an album in the studio, you know, you guys got, you, oftentimes you get to start, start by being discovered on radio or whatever, yeah. but it creates a, a, a tangible. Yeah, we're, we're looking for it. like, um, one of the, one of the things that sort of led to this was we do internal company meetings over like Google meet every couple of weeks. Yeah. Like basically every two weeks we have an all hands where everybody chats and we do the same thing for the developers uh, every couple of weeks, you know, just to sort of sync up and figure out where everybody is. 
anytime anybody asks a question on one of those and I end up doing a, a quick demo, like somebody will say, hey, so I had a customer who was having trouble getting blah to work. How would you go about doing that? I'll pull up Lightbar and screen, you know, screen share. And over the course of the next three minutes, everybody is like, that feature's in there? I had no idea it would do that. <laughs> How the hell, what combination of keys did yeah, you, and like, yeah. you know, that happens over and over and over again. Like Adam, you mentioned Adam. Yeah, uh, yeah. That is Adam Hale, Hailey, Hale. Hale. I always get his Hailey. name wrong and yeah. he hates it because I always get his name wrong. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, he's been, he was my first hire and he's been with Lightburn for a long time at this point. Like, I think we're up to three years with him and every, you know, he still finds things in the code that he didn't realize were there. And, yeah. you know, he's, he's like my number two dev and he's like, how did you do that? Where was that? <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so we thought every time, if even our own staff who ostensibly are power users and know or should know everything that there is to know about the product, if even they are constantly learning from this in-person experience, quote unquote, in person, yeah. you know, when they get to ask me questions, how would you go about doing this thing? How would you do that? You know, we figured why not bring that same experience to the user where, you know, we can drop 50 people in a room in front of me and, you know, have them pepper me with questions and, and it kind of grew from there. Cause there's a ton of other people like yourself, like that mom with a laser, Hope Yoder, like the yeah, yeah, LA yeah. hobby guy, like Robert Kofed, there's a bunch of people yeah. online and, you know, in various spaces who are doing kind of user training in the same fashion who, you know, they are power users. They have their sort of, you know, pet workflows. Yep. And I think other people being able to see them and interact with them would gain a lot from that in-person interaction for sure. And just being able to, you know, connect with other people who are also makers, maybe who are local to you that you didn't know existed. You know, there's just something about an in-person thing with that, you know, human connection between people. It's one of the reasons why we keep going to the 3d printer festivals every year, because you meet people, you get to have mm -hmm. cool conversations that are difficult to have, you know, in a, in an online space, you can naturally pair off much more easily. Like there's all of that. I, I just think it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of intangible value there. Yeah. And so we wanted to try it. It makes it, it makes it real in a different way. It gives you an opportunity yeah. to connect names and faces. And, oh, and, yeah. and like yeah. you said, like just learning in person and having somebody show you something yeah. like mm -hmm. sinks in in a completely different way. It, yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. And it's much more interactive and it's much like much more organic. It's a lot easier to, you know, have somebody if you will. <laughs> Hence the name. Um, <laughs> yeah. My friend. So thank you so much for joining us. We could go on forever. We'll have to have you back at some point uh, uh, to check in because I, I guarantee you guys this knowing, knowing Jason and his team uh, that in, in very short amount of time, like, new amazing things come like they recently we didn't even get into it but like they just like oh 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 and by the way we added support for galvo lasers it was like an entire new segment you know so if you're starting to see more and more people on social media now doing uh more of like uh the the engraves on fiber laser engravers and fiber on... lavers, yeah mm -hmm. and stuff they're enabling these these types of things and kind of 
you know, it's it's really cool to watch how your piece of software is kind of connecting the dots for a lot of people and starting businesses. And, you know, we we really didn't even scratch the surface on that stuff. So I I thank you for modeling what I would say is a a great, you know, business for your employees, uh, obviously being concerned with, you know, making sure that you're sustainable and growth and that you're taking care of your people, all just admirable things. Great to hear. Mm-hmm. I hope more companies follow your example in that regard. Um, and we wish you all the best of luck. We'll be following Thank along. You. We're big fans and uh, I'm excited, uh, obviously for the experience, but obviously for all the releases that will be out and who knows what we'll be talking about by October with, uh, Oh, oh and we, by, by the way, we just added on, you know, support for this, that, and the other thing you, you make my life better on a regular basis. And I appreciate you for that. <laughs> Are we dating now? <laughs> <laughs> you complete me. You complete me. Jason, you're awesome, dude. Thank you so much. Uh, Everybody uh, in the chat that has hung with us, which is like uh, half of your uh, support staff, apparently. Um, (laughs) Thank you for for my biggest fans or my biggest detractors. Depends on the day. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, we are really excited. We're going to be back next week with another great episode. We've got Sophie Wong with us. Uh, if you don't know who that is, shame on you. Go check her out. Amazing, uh, prop builder, creator, maker, maker, extraordinaire. But I'm really excited to have her talking about some of her experience making a uh, product for, uh, movies and, and, uh, all sorts of other stuff. So that'll be a good episode. Tune in for that. And uh, we look forward to having you again soon on our next episode of Maker That Money. Until then, have a fantastic weekend, everyone. Bye-bye. See ya.